All right, so back to the book of Titus, Titus chapter number three tonight, Titus chapter number three, and we have been in Titus uh, for a couple of weeks now, and uh, this uh, I did not intend uh, to go through the book of Titus, uh, but uh, what started as uh, a Sunday where I preached from the chapter one has turned into a series from the book of Titus, and so obviously we're in Titus tonight. I'm probably going to be there a couple of more uh, times uh, in this book, uh, but I, I trust that it's been a blessing to you. I know it's been a <coughs> reminder and a blessing to me. Titus chapter number three, I'm going to read the first eight verses this evening, and uh, I want to uh, be helpful and practical, and the book of Titus is a, is a wonderful book. It's a short book, uh, but it's so full of things that we need in the church. Look at verse number one of Titus chapter number three. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak no evil of no to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verse 9, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. I want us to look tonight back at verse number Three or verse number two. I want you to look at the last part of verse number two, showing all meekness unto all men. Tonight I want to speak on the subject of a ministry of meekness. A ministry of meekness or a ministry with meekness. Uh, let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, use your word in our life tonight. Use your word in our church. Uh, may the study tonight help us as a church. Uh, may we uh, look at the instruction that was given to Titus, this pastor, and uh, may we look at it and apply it uh, so that we can uh, stay faithful to you but better serve others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think back for the last couple of weeks to the book of Titus, uh, and we're reminded in, in chapter number 1 and uh, verse number uh, 5 that Paul uh, writes to Titus and instructs him uh, to be, uh, be, as he's left in Crete, that there are some things to set in order, things that are wanting or lacking. And he goes on to instruct them that he's going to get some help, some like-minded individuals to help him. And uh, they are to, of course, teach the Word of God, stay true to the Word of God, uh, hold fast the faithful Word that has been taught. Uh, he reminds them, as I've looked at, we were reminded again last week, what kind of people the Christians were. Uh, they weren't the easiest people to work with by their own admission. Uh, they weren't the easiest people to work with. There was false teaching there. And so it was very important for Titus to pay close attention to the instruction that the Apostle Paul 
uh, his mentor in the faith, if you will, his father in the faith, if you will, uh, pay close attention to what was being instructed to him. Last week in chapter number two, we spent uh, our time t- talking about and focused on uh, uh, Titus's ministry as a pastor. What was he supposed to do? What was he supposed to emphasize? Uh, how was he supposed to conduct himself? And we saw all of that, and that's helpful uh, to us. And then uh, we see at the end that he is given the instruction, verse 15 of chapter number two, uh, where he has authority. And that authority comes by God himself. It's not Titus's authority. It's not man's authority. But he is standing in Christ's stead. He is to... Uh, do these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And certainly it's important for him to do that. As we've seen, we've seen a couple of things. It's important to put this in perspective tonight. He is being, he's left in Crete. That's God's will for him. You and I, it's not, our, it's not God's will for us to be in Crete. Uh, it's God's will for us to be right here. And so uh, we apply these things, and you say, well, uh, the Christians were a difficult people. This, in today's society, there's difficult people. The Bible has not changed, though. And we're still supposed to conduct ourselves. We're still supposed to, in, in, in a proper way, we're supposed to hold the truth. Remember last week we talked about the aged men and the aged women and the example that they were to set and what, what they were, how they were supposed to minister to others and that younger generation coming up and, and, uh, and growing up, if you will, and, and accepting responsibility. All that is important. Now we're going to chapter 3, and we're, and we're, he, we're going to see the instruction given to to Titus and how he ministers to other people. The Bible is very, very clear on the what, if you will, if I can put it that way. Uh, this is the way you're supposed to do things. This is the way you're not supposed to do things. This is what uh, truth is. We're to hold to that truth. The Bible is very clear on principles that we're supposed to have in our life. Very, very clear, but it's also very clear on how we treat one another. And there is a balance that has to take place there. Uh, We need to be firm on the Word of God. I believe that. Uh, I believe very, very strongly. We as a church and and, and as a pastor, you fight a lot of battles because you stand on truth and you don't budge. We're to proclaim that truth. But the Bible also speaks about how we're to treat our fellow man and how we are to conduct ourselves. And we see this in chapter 3 specifically in verse number two, showing all meekness unto all men. Paul instructs Titus to hold to the truth. You with me tonight? He has the truth. He says you present that truth with authority because you are in God's stead. That's still true. Now he's going to give him some instruction that he's to operate in his ministry with meekness. The truth is vital that he holds to it. Don't give it up. But also conduct yourself showing all meekness unto, look at your Bible, look at the end of verse 2, showing all meekness unto how many men? All men. So you have the truth, you proclaim it, you hold it, you dispute. He's got instruction in chapter number 1. You dispute the false teachers. But chapter number 3, he says you conduct your ministry with meekness to all men. That word meekness simply means humility, with humility or gentleness. It is uh, without pride. Why? Because he's to remember who he is. Uh, He's a man, just like he's a fallen man who needed Christ, just like everybody else does. And so he's instructed to have a ministry of meekness. We need a revival today of men who will hold to the truth no matter the consequences. Um. 
there, we, 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 and we are, and I'm glad that in our prayer list we have a list of other pastors that we pray for. We ought to be in the habit of praying for every preacher that holds this book and stands because it is an onslaught in the day we live in. Uh, the, the devil's going to do it, and he, he's enlisted a culture to help him. We ought to pray for God's men. We need a revival, though, of men who won't budge on what the Bible says. If the Bible said something 20 years ago, it's still in the Bible. If it was right a decade ago, it's still right today. Uh, that, the Bible has not changed. We need to hold to that. We need a revival of that. But we also need a revival of God's people who will hold the truth and not change. Friend, if it was right 10 years ago, it's still right. If it was wrong 10 years ago, it's still wrong. We also need, balance with that, a revival of a ministry of meekness. I'm very confident in my position because it's a Bible position. But we need to have a ministry of meekness in dealing with other people. How do we do that? It's a good thing that Paul gives Titus instruction. So we're going to see how to interact with different types of people. And he spells it out here in, in, in chapter number 3. So that think of that uh, ministering, showing all meekness unto all men. Humility and gentleness. Um, let's look at the first group of individuals and say, number one, he gives them instruction of treatment of the unsaved. Look at verse number two, to speak evil of no man, to be brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Look at verse three, puts verse two in context, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, and parents, you need to be patient, you know, that child is yours. There's an old saying, the acorn don't fall far from the tree. It'd be good for sometimes uh, Christians and older Christians and older adults to remember. Just remember how dumb you were uh, when you were that same age. Uh, but you're being reminded then, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived. This, this is really, this is a side note, but we need to let people be human. Everybody ought to have an opportunity to be human. Um, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Then he goes on to verse 4 and verse 5 and explains that it's because of Christ. You're not that way anymore. But you ought to remember that you were that way before you got saved. And in the treatment of, of the unsaved, there is a way that we should treat them. We don't change our message to appeal to them. That is the mistake that is being made in too many churches today. Well, I, I, don't, want, I don't want them to think that I'm mean. I don't want anybody to think that I'm mean, but the truth confronts. And we don't need to water down the message or wrap it into carnality. A lot of times we, we make this mistake, and I'll use the term good people. It's, it's like they take a... You want your child to take a, 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 some medicine, a pill, and you put it in a brownie so that they can take it. Um, some of you are saying, why in the world would you do that? Well, you just shove those pills down your kid's throat. Go ahead. Uh, no, you, you can't do that with the gospel truth. Um, but we are to, to treat the unsaved with meekness, with gentleness, with humility. I'm not going to. I'm going to preach the gospel message. 
I'm going to hold to this book. This world doesn't understand it. That doesn't mean we change it. And by the way, don't get caught up into that. Well, the world, don't, they don't understand. The Holy Spirit is still real. And the Holy Spirit is His responsibility, is His ability to convince. It's not mine. Mine's to proclaim the truth. It's not yours. It's yours is to stand on the truth. It's yours to live the truth, to also proclaim the truth. But notice what we're supposed to not do. We're not, it says to speak evil of no man. I wish I could convey accurately and passionately enough how God hates injustice. Say, oh yeah, our justice, our justice may have some issues, but I'm talking about the injustice of speaking against somebody else. You study your Bible on what God says about that. God thinks so much about it that he would even put that in the category of lost people. I wonder, and, I, and, and this bothers me, and I'm going I'm to mingle social media and the internet in here as well. I wonder how many lost people are turned off by the way Christians talk about people on the internet, social media, all those things. You, you, I'm not, I don't know what anybody else posts. I'm on social media, but I only pay attention to me. Intelligent conversations I like to have. So, so you know, I, I, so if, you, if, if this, this is you, I don't know. I'm telling you what I, I do. I don't like our current administration. I, I chose a time to preach about it from behind this pulpit recently. But I'm going to be very careful what I post because there might be a lost person out there. Um, I know this isn't popular necessarily, but I'm going to be very careful. Why wow, we're to speak... Evil of no man. Now, I believe with the context of that saying, you need to be very careful what you say, and you shouldn't slander, you shouldn't tell untruths, even of lost people. I said this maybe in the Bible study last Wednesday night. I can't remember exactly when I said it. I probably said it a few times uh, here recently. Um, we shouldn't be upset that lost people act like lost people. You know what you would act like if you weren't saved? A lost person. You know what you acted like before you got saved? A lost person. Now, the issue is when saved people act like lost people, the Bible speaks very clearly about that. But we ought to be gentle. It says to speak evil of no man, um, to be no brawlers. That word brawler means just contentious. People, if you say, oh, isn't it a beautiful day? No. Well, it's a pretty blue sky. Well, it's kind of a light blue. Somebody who's always trying to argue and just, just, just contentious. We're not to be that way. I'm not looking with a lost man. I got look at the way they're. I got to go. T- look at the way they just present themselves. I got to go tell them what the Bible says about that. Well, if they don't have the Spirit of God inside of them, it's not going to mean a thing to them. And we need to get off of our Christian high horses and pedestals when speaking to lost people. We preach against this lost world, and Christians ought to stay away from it and and not yoke up with those are Bible principles, but we are commanded to go win them. And we ought to preach the gospel to them. 
I'll say, Pastor, aren't you, don't you think they ought to be, be, be correct? And let me just say this. It's not lost people sending our nation to hell. The Bible is very clear about that. It's the salt. With the salt has lost its savor. That's what's happened in our nation. God promises it's the minority. He's never had to have a majority. It's always been the minority. So what we are to do is we are to, in dealing with them, I want to position myself to win them. I get, and I have, I'm flesh just like, just like you are. There are times, I mean, Saturday night is not a stay up late party night for me. I'm getting ready for Sunday. I like to go to bed at a certain time on Saturday. I like to start shutting things down on Saturday. Because I want to be, as the pastor, I want to be, I, got, I, pre, I speak three times on Sunday. I want to be in a fret, I want to be as fresh as I possibly can be. Get up early on Sunday morning, but undoubtedly, like when I saw the calendar on July 4th was on Monday, I was like, thank you, Lord. I'm not very patriotic when it falls on Saturday night. Because I know Sunday's coming the next day. Well, you just hate America, don't you? you? On that night? No. I'm getting to a point. And then the neighbors, they're, they're, they're celebrating, and they're loud, and they're noisy. And You know, when about 4.45 rolls around on Sunday morning, what this is saying not to do is go outside and get in your vehicle, ready to back out, and just lay on the horn. It's time to get up for church, you heathens. That's, what, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not going to win anybody that way. The reason why I can use that illustration, because I've thought of it many times and been tempted. Um, not to be a brawler. He reminds him in verse number three, remember what you were. You were bound by those lusts, those divers' lusts, those many lusts, those passions as an unsaved individual. Every man has to give an account of their choice to either accept or reject Christ. But I wonder how many times, sadly, have Christians been a stumbling block because of the way we have treated a lost man. The Bible says when those disciples were sent into a city and they rejected them and persecuted them, they said, we don't want the gospel. We don't want Christ. Simply said they were to shake the dust off their feet and move on to the next. When you and I present the gospel, if somebody doesn't want it, I hope we leave a, I hope, the Holy Spirit is real enough in me and has enough of me that when I present the gospel presentation, the Holy Spirit through the word is, is, is speaking to their heart. And if they shut me down, kindly as I can, I want to walk away because I'm hoping the Holy Spirit, that, that seed has been planted. And you know, five years down the line, they may lose a loved one. They may not be ready for Christ now. It's meekness. This is not always easy to do, especially as Paul writes. They're, they're, they're liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies, but you better treat them well. 
Um, that's easier said than done. But we need to be very careful how we treat the unsaved. Now, again, we're not going to step over any Bible commands or principles. We're going to hold to those things. But I want to treat individuals, well, we should treat individuals as meek as we possibly can, as gentle as we possibly can, because why? It's what I preached on Sunday morning. Our heart's desires for them to be saved. I'm afraid this has crept into our churches. It's come to our heart's desires for us to be right. I, as long as you stand on that Bible, you're right. doesn't matter what polling says. doesn't matter what society says. But if I stand on that Bible, I'm right. I don't have to go around proving I'm right. The Bible's right. Anybody out there tonight? But I'm afraid we've gone from my desires for them to be saved to my desire to be right. That is, that is a contradiction, in my opinion, of what Titus is being told here because there's pride in that. And to deal with meekness to all men, there cannot be any pride. Now, if you have the truth, you have the word of God, you're right. I believe what I preach every, every week is right because it comes out of that book. But so I'm the truth. The truth will confront. The Spirit of God will do. I'm afraid we have got into the way, as so many times as Christians, it's easy for our flesh to do this. We have got, in, we, we have got involved in what God, God is, we got involved in what God says He'll do. He'll convict. Um, I, got a, I didn't plan on spending that much time on this one. I got 17 more to go. But I think this one's important. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to win people to you before you can win them to Christ. You know, don't raise your hand. I know the answer to this. Do you like spending time with a jerk? I've been doing it for 35 years. I, I, I took those vials and went, well, I, I didn't say, were you spending time with a jerk? I said, do you like it? Um, boy, Christians ought to be the easiest people to get along with from the standpoint is we treat people right. We treat them, why? Because I want to win them. Why do you let people treat you that way? Because I want to win him. Why did Paul have the attitude he had with this? Because he wanted to win them. He didn't have to prove that he was right. He didn't have to prove that he was smarter than they were. He was. But what was his goal? His goal was to win them. So he treated them with he, he, meekness, and he's given the instruction, treat them with meekness, treat them well, uh, because the truth of the matter is, we do, we, we're, are, we, are we trying to just be right, or are we trying to win yeah, with those Because he wanted to win them. Um, and that's the danger in all the he rhetoric to prove here he today, today right. and the political creeping in, because it's this versus this. My goal is not just to oppose those that have a different position than me, is not just to uh, ridicule or shout the... If I am in the right position, I'm right. Meekness, treat them, them well. Uh, because the truth of the matter and is... And I think we, we need the revival we, of this in our Are we trying to today? just be right? You know, are we trying still to supposed win, to win those that have a liberal um, political um, affiliation? And that's the danger in all the you know, rhetoric here today. today and some political are not winnable in simply because, because I think they have a reparate this mind. God's turned them over. But that's not the majority. Um, i got to move to number two. We see the... Pastor's instructions or uh, the treatment of the believer. Look at verse number 8. This is a faithful saying. What is a faithful saying? Well, if you go back to 
verses number 4, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. All of the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of truth, these things that he has been affirming, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Notice what he says. He says, first of all, Give, I believe he's saying give confidence. That's the direction he's given to the saved man, to the one in the church that he's pastoring, that he's leading, to give confidence. This is a faithful saying. Paul is saying, you can believe this. You can put your faith in this. And friend, the gospel, you can put your faith in. The word of God, you can put the truth of the scripture, you can put your faith in. It is a faithful saying. I don't understand. I don't understand uh, the so-called preachers or those in the religious circles, if you will, that want to put a question mark on what everybody believes. I want you leaving here with more confidence in what this book says, not less confidence. We We just don't know if this is the truth. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. This is what you hold in your hands. The word of God is the truth. You can have confidence in it. Believe it more than what you actually see with your own eyes. That's part of his responsibility is to give confidence. This is a faithful saying. You can depend on it. Then he says to affirm constantly to assert positively to, to make Firm to establish. Does it ever seem like I say some of the same things over and over again? Some of you know because you don't pay close enough attention. But my my responsibility as a pastor is to constantly be reviewing and going over to affirm, to establish in your hearts and minds because this world bombards Satan. She wants to put doubt. We're to affirm, to affirm, to affirm, to affirm constantly to establish in your heart, in your life. That's the responsibility. That's why you got to run from somebody who wants to put doubts in your mind about what you believe. I've taught this, and I'll just mention it. And I believe it's in my book, Paul's Last Words. Don't revisit what you've been taught to be truth. Well, you, Pastor, you can go back and debate. No. There's no need for me to debate it. I've settled it. Well, somebody else doesn't believe it. That's, that's their problem. Open their Bible. Is the Spirit of God in them? Then let the Spirit of God teach them. I'm not talking about people who, who are new to, to, to Christianity, who are new Christians. It's my responsibility to teach them, but I'm not going to debate with some scorner about whether this Bible is true. If they don't believe it, fine. They don't believe it. They'll answer to God for that. My responsibility is to stand on this book and to go to reach somebody, is to affirm somebody constantly that they which have believed in God, it's a great verse, might be careful to maintain good works. This is key. To maintain those good works means there's a purpose. Notice what it says. Have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. 
It says you, you affirm in them, that this is a faithful saying, but affirm in them, they're to maintain good works. They're to have good works. How do you do that? You live a holy life. You live a life of doing good works. Let me ask you a question. How careful are you to maintain good works? Sad when, the, when a Christian goes throughout their day and not one time considers or what they're doing pleasing God. So I just, I just, I just didn't enter my mind today. We have to, we have to make it into our mind. How do we do that? If you, I mean, we, we have alerts on our phones to take a pill. We have alerts on our phone to go take the dog out. We have alerts on our phone to do all kinds of things. Maybe you might have to set an alert on your phone. Are you pleasing God? Say, well, that's silly. No, what is silly is having a God who saved you, who gives you an opportunity to serve, and we don't put things in our life to make us consider that. That's what's silly. How careful are we to, to maintain good works? I, I'm, I am to maintain those things. That's part of, say, well, the pastor's just pushy. Here it is in the Bible. Paul tells Timothy, you affirm. You push them to live a life maintaining good works. You, you remind them of what, what is the faithful wolf saying, that, that they have salvation. It's changed them from, from what they were before they, was, that before they were saved. And that they which have believed in God. How many of you have believed in God? What he means by that is trusting Christ as your Savior. Believing in the salvation. How many of you have done that? You believed in God. Okay, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. That your pastor is to affirm, is to affirm, is to affirm, is to affirm that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you've been changed, you affirm so that you can be careful to live a life of good works. Good works didn't save you. How careful have you be, are you being? Notice what well, it also says in verse 8, these things are good and profitable unto men. It's for your well-being. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Titus, speak evil, show all meekness unto all men. Because remember what you were before you got saved. He reminds him of our salvation and the doctrine of salvation and his mercy and the shed blood. The hope of eternal life becoming heirs. This is a faithful saying. This is a true saying. You affirm that constantly so that they're careful to live a life of good works. Why? Because you know those people that I reminded you, the Christians, they're liars, they're evil beasts, they're slow bellies. Because when they get saved and they begin to grow and they begin to maintain good works, it's profitable for them. You know who gets the most out of living a Separate life, serving God. And you, you, can do, you, can, you can just say, I'm just going to live my days and just do, do whatever to make me happy. And, and I'm just going to show up. And, and I praise the Lord, I'm glad you show up. And, and I'm just gonna, but I'm just not going to serve above what I want to serve. You're still, if you're saved, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But you know who gets the most out of serving? The person serving. Well, I thank God for our, I'll use, I'll use our Sunday school teachers and in our, in our, in our, in our children and in in, in our teen classes. And 
Boy, those, those children get a great benefit from those teachers. But can I tell you who gets the greatest benefit? The teacher. It's true. Well, I thank, I thank God for the, the, those, the, those bus kids. They, they, they're thankful for those who come and faithful. But can I tell you who gets most out of it? Here I am affirming this, so whether you believe it or not. The worker. Because that's what Titus is being told. When they leave, because it's good for them. Why? Because there's blessings of God. God does things for them. So um, we see number two, as we think of this ministry of meekness, we have the, the pastor's leadership, his instruction, his direction to those uh, that, are the, that are saved. Number three, look with me in verse number nine. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. At number three, he says, avoid the argumentative. This is, a, this is a great study. This is very helpful to you and I. How we're supposed to treat the lost. I'm going to get into avoid the argumentative. This is what we do, though. We coddle the argumentative and the heretic. We treat them. We give them the grace that we ought to be giving those that need the gospel. Well, be patient. They're a brother. I believe in that. But when a scripture speaks to a certain thing, that's what we're supposed to do. Avoid the argumentative, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Now, there are those who are Weaker in the faith, that does not mean they're inferior. It means they don't know as much. I mean, should we really expect somebody who's been saved six days to know as much as somebody who's been six years studying their Bible? They're studying their Bible. They shouldn't. That's somebody who's weaker in the faith. It doesn't mean they're inferior. It means they need to grow, and they need time and instruction to grow. It's, you teach, you instruct. This is out of the Bible. Now you have a, an opportunity to learn that and grow. But then there are so there are some that aren't interested in growing, they're just interested in arguing. Paul instructs Titus, avoid them. Avoid them. Too many times Christians get distracted, bogged down, hurt their testimony because they want to argue. Now there are things that the Bible speaks very clearly on. I've already given you my opinion. I don't think they ought to be debated. Thus saith the Lord, I'm done debating. Now, I can, if you want me to teach, you want me to show, here's what the Bible says. Now turn over here. This is what the Bible says. I'll do that all day long. But somebody, you could, somebody with a spirit of contention and a scorner and somebody, a loophole Christian, who wants to make the Bible say something that it obviously doesn't say because... They want to justify their position. Here's what the Bible says. There's no need for me to discuss this with you anymore. It's between you and God. That's my position. Now, I do want to extend grace, and I think I do. I, I'm not so naive to think that everybody who's even here on a Wednesday night agrees 100% with everything that I, I think this Bible says. Or you may know it's true, you just may not have decided you're going to live it. 
I'm not at the door with your Facebook post. Aren't you thankful for that? What's on your Facebook? Um, why? Because I want to teach it. I want to live it. But it's between you and God, what you do with it. Um, but those that argue, he says, avoid it. If you think about Paul, his ministry, there was, Paul got taken to task because there was meats that he didn't have a problem eating that others did. Paul didn't argue about it. Um, we're to avoid, oh, there's a, there's a long list. You can also refer to them as doubtful disputations. There's a great verse in the Bible, a lot of them, but one I, the one I'm thinking of. But every man be convinced in his own mind. When the Bible says thou shalt not, there should be no confusion there. Even when the Bible says avoid, there should be no confusion there. When the Bible uses the word separate, we know what that means. There should be no confusion there. There should be no confusion on those things. But the Bible does teach some things, and that's why principles are so important, because there are things that the Bible does not say, thou shalt not, but there's Bible principles that prohibits a Christian from doing those things. But there's room for God to do a work in our life. Like, there, there, it's important for a Christian when they get to a place when it's not just about what is right and wrong, it's about what is okay and better. I made this statement, maybe it was last week, I, let's quit looking for the minimum that I can get by with as a Christian. And let's let God do a work in my heart and my life. If it's not clear, there ought to be a little bit of grace for somebody how many of you are saved tonight? Okay. Is the Holy Spirit in you? Holy Spirit's in me. Every saved individual, Holy Spirit's in there. And if we're still seeking what the Holy Spirit wants from this book, uh, it's going to bear witness with us eventually. Most of the disagreements aren't over. Well, I just don't think it says that. Well, this is what I think. There are some things that you could argue over. But most of the things we argue over, it's very clear in the Scripture what we're supposed to do. We, we just don't want to do it. But it says avoid. I could make some, and I don't want to offend anybody tonight. It's not my goal, but there are some examples. Um, I don't want to use them because I don't want to offend anybody tonight. But there are some things that you just don't have to argue over. Well, this is what I think that, okay. Well, this is, well, Pastor, I think that it ought to be, okay, that's fine. But if God does not say, and there's no principle, there are some things left for the Spirit of God to teach me. Well, Pastor, I've been studying this book for 25 years, and, and this is what I think. You really think you got this mastered in 25 years? Um, we've all taken a position of being like, oh, that's not quite what that means. Or maybe somebody, doubtful disputations, it hurts a weaker brother. Um, I think I've said enough on that one. Because I, I really don't, because 
we've, I want to avoid the argument. There are things that we should not argue over. And he says these uh, foolish questions, genealogies, and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. It's about, let me tell you what I got out of the Scripture. Let me tell you the conclusion I've come to. Let me correct everybody who's not in the same position. That's all about you. That's all about pride. There's no meekness in there. Um, everybody got this one? Okay, number four, because I'm out of time. We've talked about the unsaved. We've talked about the believer, the pastor's responsibility with them, avoiding the argumentative. Um, and by the way, we ought to be secure enough in what we believe that people who believe things differently than us, we'll be secure enough to be like, you can disagree with me. I'm still not changing my position. Um, I'm still not, well, there's, there's these, and I, and I hate to use the word preference because that, that's, been, that's been, been taken out of, put where it shouldn't be. But there's people who celebrate certain things that others don't celebrate. There's people who do certain things that others are going to do, and, and the Bible is unclear about it. Well, every man be convinced in his own mind. But be secure enough. Um, no, I, I got a good one. That I don't think will offend anybody. If you get offended, just don't come argue with me. The Bible says I'm not. There are some people who choose not to have a television in their home. And that's perfectly okay. Truth of the matter is, they're probably better off. Um, but the Bible does not say. And I've, I've had this discussion before. Somebody want to argue with me. The Bible says... I will not set no wicked thing before my eyes. Okay. If that's what the Holy Spirit speaks to you about, I'm 100% for it. You do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do and don't stray from it. I'm for it. You'll, I'll never speak against it, I'll, except for now. I'll never, I'll, ne I'll, ne I'll never do that. There's somebody that's not here. That's why I, I'm not a part of our church. That's fine. But that's not what that, the verse says. God may have used that verse for you, and then they're using it in a way to look at if you have a television and you're not right with God. Now, the TV's not wicked. Let me tell you what's wicked. It's the person holding the remote control. Now, there are wicked things that can come on there, and there's more and more of that than there's ever been. So you have to safeguard yourself, but if you take a safe position, I'm all for it, but you cannot come back and argue, this is what God has said. He didn't say that. Because there's wicked stuff that comes on the, your, your cell phone, comes on your iPad, comes on your computer, comes on all, all kinds of things. Um, so, so I'm not going to argue with you over that. If that's a position that the Lord has worked in your heart, take it. Does this make sense? Okay, number four. Now we're talking about rebuking the heretic. Verse number 10. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that, knowing that, he that is such is subverted and sinneth be, being condemned of himself. The word heretic, the simple definition of the word heretic is, a heretic is a fundamental error in doctrine. Someone who promotes and teaches a fundamental errors in doctrine. A heretic would be somebody who teaches something that's false about salvation. I'll give you an example of a heretic. John MacArthur is a heretic. 
If you're a Christian and you read after John MacArthur, you shouldn't. Well, his book on this is fine. He may have a book that's actually decent, but I'm not reading after it because he's a heretic. You say, why would you say that? Because he teaches that the blood is not necessary for salvation. That's not what the Bible says. Now, he did not come to some erroneous conclusion on that because someone as prominent and visible as him, he was admonished by many about his position on the blood. And there's a pattern. It says after the first and second admonition, reject. There should give what Paul is telling Titus, give an opportunity to explain himself and then repent of it. Um, and after that is done, then there's, a, there's something you're supposed to do. But somebody who is teaching foundational error in doctrine, uh, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to say, we're supposed to admonish and say, that's not right. Some of the mistakes that we make today is we, we're afraid to speak out against the heretic and admonish. How do you admonish? Is it publicly, privately? The Bible is not clear. I think it just depends on the situation. Is it somebody personal? Somebody in the church? Is it somebody um, who, how prominent are they? I mean, there ought to be, it has to be a personal admonishment. But they ought to have an opportunity to correct themselves. And by the way, let me, and let me go ahead and get to the end and I'll say what I want to say. It's, notice what it says, after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being, being condemned of himself. It says, after the first and second admonition, reject. Very simply put, no, they should have no position, no membership, no fellowship. If it's within the church, they should, they should not be in the church. Somebody who is doctrinally Wrong, uh, let me give you an illustration. Somebody's teaching a Sunday school class. I won't teach a Sunday school class, but I know they hold a position that's contrary to what this book says. Maybe somebody believes that you have to be baptized as part of salvation. That's, that's not true. Um, or maybe somebody believes that the only perfect word is the original Greek and the Hebrew. That's not correct. Um, that's denying the doctrine of preservation. So if that's all that they, they believe that, they're not teaching Sunday school in my church. As a matter of fact, I'm not sending my college kids to their college. Um, it's not correct. So say, Pastor, you don't doctrinally screen all of your members? Look around. How in the world is that going to happen? Let me tell you something. Somebody who was a Catholic on Friday, got saved on Saturday, got baptized on Sunday, they don't have all their doctrine straight. That's part of growing. But somebody say, say, you know, I'm thankful that you went out soul winning with me, but salvation is not part of, or, or baptism is not part of salvation, so let me help you with that. Okay, Pastor, I didn't know any better. Now that now I know that somebody wants to defy and say, no, I am going to teach. They should have no position. Matter of fact, if they're confronted, what are they doing? They're going to divide the church. 
let me just use an illustration. If you're not familiar with it, you don't need to be familiar with it, other than it's, it's, a, it's a damnable doctrine from hell. Calvinism is not welcome here. It's not welcome here. Pastor, I want to show you what, what this book says. Let me, let's, let's read what this book says. It's not welcome here. So what if somebody believes in Calvinism? If they, if, they, if they let it come out their mouth, we're having a conversation. Then have that conversation because it was shared with somebody amongst the membership, there's going to be a Sunday night sermon on it. So if you're a closet Calvinist, stay in that closet. Because anybody who espouses that is a heretic. Maybe somebody, and that's why you got to be careful what you read. Because there's a lot of Baptists reading after Calvin as you're reading heresy. So you got to be careful with that. So say, well, this sounded good. I said, no, let me, let me help you with that. That's an admonishment. Let me give you some room. You know, I've looked at, I've seen what you said, and, and that's not, it's a dividing. So what would happen if somebody was spreading stuff about Calvinism? I, those two things would take place. I would confront them about it, talk to them about it. I would preach a message on it because it's my job to protect the flock. And then if there wasn't an acknowledgement that they were wrong, they're no longer going to be in the membership. They're going to be told to leave. Say, Pastor, has that ever happened? Yes. Sometimes that's why so-and-so didn't come back. I didn't make it any public, more public than it had to be. I say, what if they don't go? Then it will be public. Because there should be no position, no membership, no fellowship. We are suffering, to use an illustration, generation is suffering because there was a man who was a known heretic amongst independent Baptists. And he was admonished more than one time. And then people propped him up and promoted him. And they should have rejected him. Say, boy, that sucked the wind out of the room. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's Bible. No fellowship. Say, oh, oh what is it? Is it? I'm happy what God's doing here. It's my responsibility to teach the truth so you can believe in it. To affirm it, it's right. How can I affirm it when somebody's working against what God has established? Um, now they don't want to talk about him, but they should have rejected him when he was teaching heresy. Um, rebuking the heretic. No position, no membership, no fellowship. Reject. Doctrine is vital. Doctrine is important. Say, uh, so we've looked at the four different groups of people. Let me bring you back to the introduction. We're done. It says we're supposed to handle all men with meekness, with humility. We'll say, Pastor, how do you do that if you reject? Because it's not about me. See, we, we reject, as Christians say, we reject people because it's about us. We reject because somebody challenges what we believe. We reject because somebody iron sharpens iron, makes us uncomfortable because they're living at a little higher level. That's why if you want to take a higher standard to me and something, I'm not upset about that. Just don't go to everybody else and say, you need to have the same standard I have. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. I hope this makes sense tonight. 
We handle it all with meekness. Um, boy, this would help us. He says, he reminds us, all men with meekness. We say, well, that sounds pretty, and a lot of times when people will speak out against false doctrine, they're labeled as contentious. But that's not what contention is. It's about being obedient to Scripture. Pastor, why would you not send students to certain Bible colleges? Because they're my responsibility. Why would you call them and tell them to come home? It's my responsibility. Um, Say, well, I'm not going to have fellowship. Why is that? Because it's scriptural. Say, you're one of those hate mongers. No, one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to admonish people that you love, that you care about. And you still don't have to come back, and you still you say, you, if you, you say what you have to say, you do what you have to do, and, and then, you, then you move on from there. But I want us to be, as a church, I want us to be scripturally right. How can we reach a world if we don't have the right doctrine? How can we reach a world if we don't have the right spirit? I want, it's okay to be saved, Independent Baptist and nice. Well, I'm deciding if I want to join the Independent Baptist Church if I have to, you know, start being mean. No. You can be kind. And truth of the matter is, most of us are. But we get mislabeled because people don't like the truth. Some of the people who are called the meanest people in the world, I know the times they've taken money out of their pocket. I know the hours that they've invested. I know the sacrifices they've been made. But because they would not budge on what the Bible says, but they're just hateful and mean-spirited and judgmental. No, that's not the truth. The lost world, I want to try and reach them with the gospel. Let's be gracious this week. The pastor, they're just, they're just rude. You mean they're like liars? Evil beast, slow bellies. Don't go calling your coworkers all that this week. That's they're just hard to get along with. Yeah, people are. You know what they need? They need the gospel. We need to be patient with them. This is why Paul spends some time in this letter to Titus, reminding him of, of doctrine, reminding him of salvation, reminding him of what Christ did. Reminding him of what he was before he was saved so that he can have a ministry of meekness. Hey, listen, you know, everybody in here is supposed to have a, it has a, supposed to have a ministry. A ministry to others, a ministry to people. Don't be somebody who puts a doubt on what the Bible says. Oh, parents, you ought to, you ought to affirm in your children. The Bible is true. 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 A lot of times when that gets derailed is when mom and dad don't want to do right. Then they got to start picking apart the Bible. Pick apart the church. Pick apart the pastor. Pick apart. Why? Because they don't want to do right. Oh, the day may come when your child's going to need the truth. They're going to need a pastor. They're going to need a church. We've had so many things, but let's stay true to this book and let's have a, a ministry um, of meekness. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ. 
It does not mean that we're supposed to just set aside what the Bible says so that we can get along with everybody. Because then it's not about Christ. It's about Him. Let's find a way this week to tell somebody about the Lord. And, uh, well, you ought to, you ought to uh, uh, people you do business with, you get to know people you do business with, be nice so that you can look for that opportunity. The time's coming. The time's coming. The time's coming. We're not going to be able to give them the gospel. Uh, we ought, we have to think that way. I want to win them. It's not just about being right. You know, a lot of times we get criticized. Well, you just you just prove we are right. It's not about being right as much as it's about I'm right because I have the Bible so that I can give you the gospel so that you can have the truth. So then you can have Christ, and then you know what you can be? You can be right as well, right in our relationship with the Lord. Father, help us.